Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we'll be finishing our study of Ephesians, giving our attention to chapter 6. Our hope is that this study has equipped us with a deeper confidence in God, His Word, His will, and His ways through Jesus. Now, let's continue our study with Pastor Jim. Today we come to one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misapplied passages in all of Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. I want to read through the text, and then we'll start back at the beginning and make a little comment here or there and try to make some good sense of it all for you. Finally, the Apostle Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm." Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So much here, um, and it's really practical, and it's great advice from the Apostle Paul, and it begins with that word, finally, and I know a lot of you, that's one of your favorite words when I've gone too long in a Bible study or when I've gone too long in a sermon. You like to hear that word, finally, because you know it means things are about to wrap up. But I think the emphasis is on this is really important in light of everything that has been said. So all of chapters one through three with uh, those amazing indicatives, all the rich doctrine about what God has done for us in Christ. With that in mind, uh, with everything in chapters four and five that have proceeded here, we are in chapter six, all that's proceeded in chapters four and five, the first few verses of chapter six. With all that in mind, with those um, with, with, with Paul's instruction there, the imperative, the practical living out a response to all that God has done for us in Christ. Finally, with all of that, he says this, be strong in the Lord. He doesn't say pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, there are a lot of folks that will uh, kind of get sidetracked by the mention of the devil, the schemes, um, uh, the idea of standing firm against the devil and all of that. And there are usually three different positions that people take on, on what they typically would call or categorize as spiritual warfare. Um, one, they could obsess over it, uh, looking for demons under every rock, 
using the devil made me do it, excuses to explain their own lack of discipline, um, claim that they're under some kind of generational curse in which they might have inherited their evil Aunt Esther's pots and pans, her favorite Barca lounger, her mantle clock, her bowling ball, and all the demons that plagued her as well. So some people obsess over demons and dev the devil and, and that kind of activity. Uh, but a second error is that people ignore it or dismiss it. Those folks would go so far as to completely deny the existence of the devil or demons or to trivialize their existence. But nobody talked more about Satan and the devil or demons than Jesus. So if you believe and trust in Jesus, you're going to have to believe what Jesus said about them. And by that, I mean this, the third option. Keep your perspective about such things a biblical perspective. Uh, what Paul is saying here and what is say, said elsewhere throughout the New Testament is that we're in the midst of a spiritual war. Um, but Paul reminds us that the outcome is secure because we can stand not in the strength of our own might. We, we would not be powerful enough on our own. We stand in the strength of his might. We walk in the knowledge of God's victory and the Lord Jesus' victory. Um, we aren't trying to take new territory. Christ has already taken all of the territory. Um, we aren't told to shout and flail about. Um, we're simply told to stand. To stand against, that's true. To resist elsewhere, that's right. But the emphasis is on standing firm in the Lord and in his strength. And to stand upon the victory of the finished work of Christ our King. Died on the cross, but rose again in victory. C.S. Lewis wrote a really interesting book. Some of you are probably familiar. I'll hold this up if you happen to be watching on YouTube. But this is a, a, a pretty pretty old copy of the Screwtape Letters. Let me see. I think it is. I have a couple of these old hardback ones in them. Uh, by the way, Screwtape Letters dedicated to his friend, uh, Lewis's friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. Some of you will know that they uh, were friends. Uh, written in 19, or this one published in 1943, and this is one of the early editions. But in it, he talks um, uh, in the introduction as well. Uh, later, there's a, and I'm, I'm going to read three paragraphs here from the Screwtape Letters, and Screwtape Proposes a Toast, which was published later in 1961. Uh, he's talking, Lewis is talking a little bit about uh, the devil here and what he believes to be true about the devil based on what he reads in Scripture. Uh, and for those of you who do not know, the Screwtape Letters is a series of 31 short letters that Lewis wrote um, from the vantage point of an elder demon uh, writing to his, I believe, young nephew um, uh, named Wormwood. And so Screwtape uh, writing to Wormwood is going to advise Wormwood on how to manipulate the patient. And the patient is typically human beings who are uh, manipulated and tempted by the devil. So in response to the uh, question of the existence of the devil, Lewis wrote, Now if by the devil you mean a power opposite to God and like God self-existent from all eternity, the answer is certainly no. There is no 
uncreated being except God. God has no opposite. No being could attain a perfect badness opposite to the perfect goodness of God. For when you have taken away every kind of good thing, and in parentheses he writes intelligence, will, memory, energy, and existence itself, there would be none of him left. The proper question is whether I believe in devils. I do. That is to say, I believe in angels, and I believe that some of these, by the abuse of their free will, have become enemies to God and, as a corollary, to us. These we may call devils. They do not differ in nature from good angels, but their nature is depraved. Devil is the opposite of angel, only as bad man is the opposite of a good man. Satan, the leader or dictator of the devils, is the opposite not of God, but of Michael. And by that he means the archangel. Uh, Michael, that from C.S. Lewis, uh, the Screwtape Letters, and Screwtape proposes a toast in the 1961 editions of Screwtape Letters. So what do we have here? Well, in verse 10, that finally, that sets us up for, he's going to leave us with the, the important summary. What, if there's an answer to the question, so what? Here he is, the Apostle Paul, giving us his so what? He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, these terms that he uses when he talks about the devil in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the um, uh, forces that are uh, in this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are terms that refer to the administration of hell, which includes, yes, the devil himself, a finite created angel, um, big ego, functions as the accuser of the brethren, probably not after too many of us because he's finite. Um, He's got much bigger fish to fry than me. Uh, Under under his administration, there are smaller, lesser fallen angels call those uh, demons along with Lewis. And, and they're finite created angels gone bad, minions of the devil. Jesus encounters a number of those as we read the, the gospel records. What's clear here in verse 11, verse 12, and verse 16, three things about the devil. The devil's shrewd, the devil's powerful, and the devil's wicked. Now, I did not say the devil is all powerful. I just said he's powerful. Um, and he's wicked. He has your demise in mind. That's his goal for you. He'll use deception. He'll encourage you to make lesser things the most important things and to diminish the most important things in some way. Um, Throughout scripture, the words of the devil are only recorded three times. The first time uh, in the book of Genesis, the devil questions God before man and woman. Did God really say? And God God doesn't want you to eat of that because he knows that if you do eat of that, you'll be just like him. And so that's the first instance we have of the devil speaking. He questions God before man and woman. The second time that scriptures record the words of the devil, he questions man before God at the beginning of the book of Job. Um, he, he says to God, have you, have you noticed your servant Job? He's, you, you've made his life cush. No wonder he believes in you. No, no wonder he remains faithful to you. 
Um, what if you took all that away? And so he questions man before God. The third time the devil speaks in scripture, um, and the final time, is when he questions both God and man in the ultimate God-man. The word become flesh, Jesus Christ. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And that's the last time that God allowed Satan's words to be recorded, as if to say, that is all God would allow of this liar's words to be heard. And it is here that he gets a solid rejection from Jesus Christ. Here in Ephesians 6, the word stand is the theme really of this pericope or this, this passage. Paul uses it three times, four if you count withstand, also translated resist here. Now, how is it possible for us to stand? That is a good question to ask. I'll do it real quickly for you. There are really, um, I think about six things here, maybe maybe seven or eight if you want them, you know, list them in, diff- in a different way. But first is be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Um, the verb be is present passive tense. That is, we don't have to do some kind of spiritual battle for victory, but rather from victory. The war has been won by God the Father and Christ. We just now stand in the victory. He says, secondly, put on or take up the full armor of God. Uh, That's Here's God equipping us with the right tools for the job. Appropriate those tools. God has provided for you to be able to stand. And those tools are listed here as six different things. So um, I say our, I guess our number for our outline will be eight then because we've said two things. Um, number three would be gird your loins with truth. I wonder why he started with that. I would have preferred an Apache helicopter or a surface-to-air missile, uh, perhaps the Bat Belt, if any of you are old enough to remember Batman. But he says, gird your loins with truth. Uh, wrap that around your waist and your entire outfit uh, as a belt that holds your entire outfit, your armor, suit of armor together, much like a Roman soldier's utility belt would have done. Um, fourthly, put on a, the breastplate of righteousness, guarding your hearts right at the core, the center of the human person, as the New Testament and Old Testament writers and readers would have seen heart. It's not just the seat of the emotions. It is that, but it's more than that. It's the seat of the affections, um, the seat of desires. Um, Remember, the heart is so important because the heart will always make a convert of the head. Your desires will always rule over often what you think is even good yourself. You'll do it because you just can't resist something and your heart makes a convert of the head. But here's what he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And where do we get righteousness from? Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Christ, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in Christ, which is something the Apostle Paul has been saying over and over and over again here in Ephesians, in Christ, We have been given the righteousness of God in Christ. He took our sins, he who knew no sin, took our sins upon himself on the cross, paid the price for them in full. And so we can put on the breastplate of righteousness because it's the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
Next, he says, our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, the Roman soldiers' boots had studs or cleats. Think those, okay? On the bottom. It was a great way to help as they were trying to run across rugged terrain or across muddy terrain. It, was, it helped them navigate all of that. And our mission in life is to cover the rugged and the muddy terrain of the world in which we live as well, if I could use that as a metaphor. And we are to carry the message of the peace of God, this gospel, this good news, if you will, shod, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, so we don't want to slip. We don't want to slide. We want to be able to carry that message to the world that needs so desperately to hear a word of peace. Uh, I don't know what day it is or what part of the year you might be watching or listening to this, but surely you know the world often seems like it's just gone off the rails. Like it's like a, a train off the tracks or a stagecoach heading for the cliff and nobody nobody has the reins and under control at all. We need outside help. We need the Lord and we need the peace that Jesus can bring us. Next, he says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Um, and here's how we ward off the incoming attacks. Take up the shield of faith. Uh, still not convinced that you have a strategic enemy uh, of, uh, of the enemy of your faith in Christ who's shooting arrows, flaming arrows at you or missiles here as it's translated in the New American Standard. Hey, listen, all you need to do is decide right now to check your uh, Instagram feed, your Facebook feed, or your X feed. And you're going to, or, or maybe you just go to the mall or to a football game or a concert or just do anything at all. Um, you're probably not even going to notice most of the incoming flaming missiles of the enemy of your faith. But you might notice them if you look back in the rearview mirror at those times when you thought, okay, I just don't want to go to church today. Or maybe I just, ah, Bible study. I'm not really, I don't, or youth group. I, you know, there's something more important with sports or something at the school or something I could go to. Arrows aplenty abound and are more recognizable uh, as we look behind us at the times that we sort of put something ahead of the thing that we should have put first, our spiritual life. Um, so if you decide to spend a few minutes in prayer um, or a few minutes in the Word, you're going to have a million flaming arrows coming at you. And they won't necessarily be really evil-looking things. They'll just be some distractions. They'll just be some things that, uh, some arrows perhaps with a sleeping potion on the tip of them. Then he says, take up the, the helmet of salvation. Put on that. I like that. I like this image. Uh, if you ride a bike and you wear a helmet, um, uh, if you ride a motorcycle and you wear a helmet, you're on a construction site, you work there, you wear a helmet. Um, this protects uh, your mind, your, your brain. This protects that, the organ with which you think and perceive things. Sow a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit, so a habit, reap a character, so a character, reap a destiny. Hmm. Take up the helmet of salvation, put it on. Uh, 
and the sword of the spirit. He says that as well. I think that's so important, isn't it? Mentioned there in verse 17. And he even tells us what the sword of the spirit is. It's the word of God. And it's the only offensive item. Everything else is defensive. The only offensive item in this list is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Um, He doesn't say, take up your enthusiasm. Give me a J. Give me an E. It's not that Jesus cheer thing. Uh, it's not take up your own courage. Um, it's not take up your own strength. It's it's be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit together, trusting fully in Jesus and uh, immersing ourselves in the word of God. Um, uh, as Psalm 119 uh, verses 9 through 11 would say, How can a young man or a young woman keep their way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments, the psalmist wrote. And then he says, your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Every time our minds run in the other direction, every time the enemy throws some thoughts across the screen of our mind or the screen of our phone or our iPad or whatever, or our television or the movie screen, whatever, just like Jesus did, we should answer with the word of God. That's what he did in Matthew 4. So I love this so very much. There's so much here for us. Um, I'm going to continue in the next episode, and we'll be talking about his closing thoughts on prayer. So let's close in prayer as we prepare for this day. Lord, thank you that you've not left us uh, uh, without the proper tools to be able to stand firm and to stand in the power of your might. Pray that we'd all do this today. Uh, Lord, especially that helmet of salvation, lifting up the shield of faith, trusting you completely whenever we feel the enemy's darts coming at us, attempting to defeat us, to dissuade us from belief, to distract us, to derail our faith. Um, Lord, may we turn to you. We belong to you. We trust in you. We hope in you and we stand firm in your strength and power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.